five-year-old son, Bryce, we got a chance to go as dad and son and spend some quality time together out there in the ocean. I thought it was awesome. Uh, it, it took us a while to get started, though. Once we got out in the ocean, there were sea lions. Sea lions were trailing our boat. And so every time we would cast something out, the sea lions would just eat it, right? And we think we have something, and we get ready to reel it up, and you realize you're not pulling up a sea lion. It's just not happening. You're going to pull up an empty uh, bait, or well, bait that's just gone off of it. So we kept moving around a little bit, probably spent about two hours before we finally got to the spot to where it was perfect. The sea lions were gone, and we could just fish, and the fish were biting. Everybody was catching fish. I mean, all the men that were there were catching fish, fish, the sons, the daughters were catching fish. And the only thing I haven't said yet is I didn't catch any fish. You see, what happened was two hours into the trip, I felt good. But then all of a sudden, I got a little sick. So I, got to, I had to take a seat. So for the next three hours, I sat in the middle of the boat. And if you ask me, I think I was the most important person on the boat because I was the one that was watching the kids. I was allowing everybody to have a good time when the kids got a little restless and they got tired of being out there fishing. So because our boat caught a lot of fish, I was looking at Pastor PJ trying to figure out where's my reward for watching the kids and being sick. But that's not the point here. The point in why I say that is because when we finally got to that spot in the ocean and we started to catch a lot of fish, it was because we had the right bait. We had fresh squid. We had live sardines. And it was the, the ideal and the perfect bait. And we were in the, the ideal spot. And we, were, we had the ideal time to catch the fish. Well, that's fishing. But guess who else has great bait for us? And that's Satan. Satan has the most attractive bait that we could want here in our flesh. And it's personalized. It's a bait that's going to make you feel like, I got to have this. It's the bait that's going to make you feel like, if I just grab it, whatever I do, it'll be justified. It'll be right. And he wants you to grab it. He sits it out there on a platter for us to feel like, if I just grab this, this will give me everything that I want. If I just take this opportunity, whatever I do, it'll be justified. And it'll be rational. And we have to watch out for that. So Jesus, in a few words, in Matthew 5, 5, is going to tell us exactly what we need to do to watch out for it. So if you haven't turned there already, let's go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to spend our time today with verse 5, but we're also going to talk about context there that's going to take us to another verse. But as we go back on the beginning of what we've talked about in this series, so far we, we've spoken about verse 3, which is the poor in spirit, spirit. So that is our dependence on God, realizing that we need God. We must have God. And then we get into verse 4, which is blessed are those who mourn. That's, again, recognizing our need for God. But those first two are more internal. That's more between you and God. You see, when we transition to verse 5, we get to the external. When we, when we say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, that becomes external. When we talk about the meek, that requires us to have some interaction. Right? That requires us to involve other people in our lives that we interact with. 
and it determines our behavior that we have with them. So the, the world gives a definition of meek. and It, it gives a, a, quite a few, but the main one I'm going to hone in on, and you probably heard it based on worldly standards, is if you're meek, you're weak. If you're meek, you're weak. Well, the Bible has something completely different to say about meekness. And it says meekness is not weakness. It makes it very clear. We, meekness is not weakness. What meekness is, is being gentle. It's being humble. And it's having self-control. Okay. You see, meekness is the ability to be able to do something, but yet have the self-control not to do it if it's not honoring to God. Let me repeat that. Meekness is saying it's the ability, ability to do something, but actually not doing something and having self-control not to do it because it, it may not be honoring to God. You see, every day the world's going to bait you. It's going to bait you. It's going to continue to throw things out there that look almost right. That, that it just wants you to gravitate towards it. And guess what? The world partners up with our flesh, and they form a team. And they form this team that, that pulls us and that baits us so far away from meekness that we start to follow what the world has to say about beating our chest and being prideful instead of what the Bible has to say in meekness is following exactly how Jesus lived his life. So I want us by the end of this message to be able to see it because you can spend your whole life trying to control your life and, and trying to figure out what you need to do to insert yourself and completely miss the boat here with meekness. And I want to show you specific ways on how the world will dress up debate, make it look really pretty, for us to jump and grab it and have us headed in the wrong direction. So I want us to more proactively be able to be aware of bait when we see it, as opposed to after the fact, when the damage is already done, and then we realize that it was bait. And if you're like me, you've, I've been baited many times today alone. But the question is, did you see the bait for what it was, bait, or did you take it and fall into a trap that steers us away from meekness? So before we get too far into Matthew 5.5, 5, I want to talk about some context here. And if you don't mind, turn with me to Psalm 37.11. Psalm 37.11. And what you're going to see when you turn to Psalm 37, 11 is the very words that we see in Matthew 5, 5. You see, because Jesus was taking what David said in Psalm 37, 11, and he's applying it in the Beatitudes. Verse 11 says, but the meek shall inherit the land. Not the earth, but the land. And we're going to address why that's a difference there. And then it says, and delight themselves in abundant peace. So what we're talking about today, it applies so much for our current situation. I mean, honestly, it's something that we should be reading daily because this whole chapter in Psalm 37, David, David is telling his listeners of, look, don't be disturbed. Don't be thrown off guard because it seems like those who are against God are winning right now. They're prospering right now. It's saying, trust God. Understand that the divine justice will come for those individuals. 
But it is not our responsibility to get all fret and make a big stink about what they're doing and then potentially look at what they're doing and, and think that that's better for us. God will not forsake his saints is what David wants to remind the people. We just need to trust the Lord always. And if you look at verse 1 and 2 in Psalm 37, I love how that the word used there. It starts off by saying, fret not. And that word fret means being constantly worried or anxious. David's saying, do not do that. Don't do that. Fret not, envious, fret not, excuse me, yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So when you panic and when you fret, you basically have lost faith and lost trust in what God's doing here on earth. And that's what the enemy wants us to do. So Jesus is talking to his audience, and the audience that he's talking to during the day, this, isn't, this is in Rome, but this isn't the, the Roman soldiers. This isn't the, the powerful. This is in the Roman society, but he's talking to the local villagers. He's talking to those ones that are, that are lesser and not as strong as maybe the Roman soldiers. So I can imagine if those listeners in the audience, they see Jesus coming, and they, they, they realize what the Old Testament has prophesied for Jesus to come and, and take over. So they're probably expecting to hear a little bit more from Jesus in a stand of, I'm going to take over. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus tells them to be meek. The meek are the ones that will inherit the land. And Jesus, what Jesus is saying to them is the same thing that we need to understand today. Because that culture that was back then in Rome it's not too far off from what our culture looks at success today. Our culture is the same way. Have pride. Only the strong will survive. Be independent. Glorify yourself. That's how you're going to have success. But we have to understand that is just bait. That's what the enemy wants us to realize. That's what the enemy wants us to fall into is that trap of feeling like I need to glorify self, and all that does is lead to a path of destruction. And I want us to realize that. I want us to get that. I want us to be able to see it for what it is before we fall into that trap. You know, October 30th, 1974, one of the biggest sporting events in history. It's called the Rumble in the Jungle. Many of you know about it. Some of you may have watched it. You got Muhammad Ali versus George Foreman. George Foreman, not the Foreman grill that you have in your house, not the big, you know, soft George Foreman. I'm talking about the George Foreman that could bust open a heavy bag. Heavy hitter George Foreman. 40-0 and 0 at this time. 37 knockouts. So he was ready to take Muhammad Ali out and add to the statistics. Well, Muhammad Ali, during his training, went against what his trainer wanted him to do. And he installed the tactic of the rope-a-dope, right? It was a baiting tactic. And what the rope-a-dope was, was Muhammad Ali backed himself up into a corner and basically curled up into George Foreman. It was like a, t a shark seeing blood. And he was like, this is what I always wanted. So George Foreman sees red, and he goes after well, that was Muhammad Ali's bait. He wanted him to do that because he knew if he could withstand George Foreman's punches for long enough, the man would get tired. 
and that's exactly what happened. Muhammad Ali backs up into the corner, and he's quicker than George Foreman. So every time George Foreman's throwing a punch, he's dodging. He might have got connected with a few, but he dodged most of them. Well, you see, George Foreman could only do that for so long, because by the time the eighth round came, George Foreman was done, and he was throwing punches that were probably like pillows. I wouldn't say that to his face, but that's what they look like on film, right? But they weren't the same punches. They weren't the same emphasis that he was throwing in the first round. What happened was he got tired. And then what do you know? In the eighth round, Muhammad Ali hits him with a straight right, knocks him right to the mat. Fight over. Muhammad Ali wins. He was the underdog in this fight. Well, you see, George Foreman lost focus. He probably had a training regimen. He probably had a specific plan going into that fight. But he lost focus of that because he took the bait. The bait that looks so right, it looks so easy, it looked like this is a can't-miss opportunity. He took it, and it wasn't it. And so the enemy is going to do the same thing to us. It's going to look so right that we want to take it. And the enemy is going to constantly bait us, bait us, bait us. And what he's baiting us to is to try to be more like the world be away from what Christ is saying, being meek. And we have to be aware of that. And I want us to write that down for point number one tonight is be aware of the bait. Be aware of the bait. The world is going to use everything that it can. It's going to use shame. It's going to use verbal abuse. It's going to use outcast. Whatever it takes to make you think, man, I, I just, maybe I should go on the other side. Because it just looks like they're having so much more success. Or maybe I should take this bait, this argument. Maybe I should lash out at whomever I'm talking to because it seems like the right thing to do. It seems justified. It seems like the rational thing to do to, to let somebody have it. But once you catch that bait, then all of a sudden you realize it was bait. And you're headed down the wrong path of destruction. That's what the enemy is trying to do. The enemy is trying to take you out. So always keep that in mind and be aware of the bait. So a, a, a few of the things that I had mentioned earlier is I want to give you some exact ways that the world is going to bait us in our life today. And it, it, they're going to continue to applaud the accolade, accolades. They're going to continue to applaud um, beating your chest, being self-glorified, um, being competitive, and that only strong will survive mentality. So pride, which it sums up a lot of that, pride tells us that, you know, you should put up a, a facade, right? Put up this wall. Everybody can't know your real life. Nobody should know your real life, right? Put up this facade of what people want, what you want people to think of you. But then meekness that Christ talks about tells us to be humble, have humility, be vulnerable, share with your brothers in Christ. Pride tells us your schedule is so important. Jam-pack your schedule with stuff that's going to satisfy you, things that are going to make you happy. Well, meekness tells us that we should serve others. We should put others before ourselves and be able to sacrifice some of our time to make sure that we're there to serve others' needs. Pride is going to tell you, lash out at people. Okay? When, you're, when your wife, when you're having an argument with your wife and you want to just shut it down, lash out at her. When your kids start getting unruly and they're getting, you know, on your nerves, lash out at them. Show them who's boss. 
But Jesus, meekness tells us, we need to be serving, especially our households. We need to be understanding, loving our wives like Christ loved the church. We need to be loving our children as they're a gift from God. The culture won't tell you that. But I'm here to tell you that. Look, it's, it's, it's much easier to be prideful. It's a fact. It's much easier to be prideful. It's much easier to lash out at people. It's much easier to be angry with people. That's weakness. Just think about it. Think about it. If you're on the road, right, driving, and somebody cuts you off, you snap that quickly. Right? I, I used uh, wives, right? It's, it's because it, it happens too frequently. We lash out at our wives. We snap that quickly because it's the weak thing to do. But the world wants to tell us that's, that's tough. But it's not. Meekness is tough to do. Meekness is hard. You know why it's hard? I'll prove it to you because it's much harder for you to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, than it is to lash out. Meekness says being willing to apologize and forgive. But sometimes we can lash out at the drop of a dime. But how long does it take us to apologize? Days? Weeks? Sometimes we don't even apologize. We just sweep it under the rug and say, okay, they should be over it by now. But that's the tough thing to do. And that's why many people are not meek. Because it's so easy to do what the world will tell you is the strong thing to do and lash out. But Kellen, Jesus got angry, right? Righteous anger. Matthew 21, 12, Jesus comes into the temple, right? Turning over tables, using whips, driving out the people that are mistreating the temple. I I would say you're right. He might have shown righteous anger there. But let's not just stop there at verse 12. Verse 13 says, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. So you see, it wasn't just a random reason to get angry. When we look at righteous anger, that is in direct opposition to God. Not me, not you, not something that inconvenienced us, right? Not something that rubbed us the wrong way that makes us want to lash out verbally or go to social media and start to type out how we truly feel about a situation. That's not the anger that happens here. And so many times we, we, we're quick to take righteous anger and, and use it subjectively to meet our needs and what we want it to mean. So, and many, many non-Christians that you'll see are on social media, and what do they do? They lash out. They let the world know. But the sad part about it, many Christians are on there too. And if we're calling ourselves Christians and Christ calls us to be different and separate from the world, there's times where I can look on social media and the ones that that call themselves Christians versus the non-Christian, I can't tell the difference. And that shouldn't be the case. Because at that point, when we start to lash out, then we've completely lost trust that God has control. And we feel like we need to insert ourselves to control the situation. We start to panic. But again, that's the bait that the enemy wants us to do. They want us to feel like you have to step up. You have to take control of the situation. Otherwise, it won't be handled. 
And we have to see that for what it is. Because all that does, when we go on social media and we type out this long dissertation about how we feel about, you know, current situations and political ploys and everything that comes up, all that does is affect our witness, and then it causes division. The two things, the enemy is like, bravo, keep, keep it up, keep it up. It makes us feel good inside, but Christ calls us to be meek. I'm not saying that we can't have an opinion. I'm not saying that you can't be on social media. But what I am saying is we should be much quicker to get on our knees to be praying than we do to start typing things on our phone and on our computers. That's what I'm saying. Righteous anger is being slow to anger, not quick to anger. James 1.20 tells us the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And if you're debating whether something is, hey, is this righteous anger? If it's not righteous anger, it's probably not. And I would say instead of seeking that line of justification of is this righteous anger or not, we need to be seeking meekness. We need to be seeking Christ and allowing that to make our decision on how we approach things. So you might be thinking at this time, well, how do I have a good gauge? How do I know where I am with meekness? A great way to tell where you are in terms of meekness is how you treat other people. It dictates our relationship with others. And C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So meekness helps us think less of ourselves and think higher of other people. Your relationship as a Christian with, towards non-believers, towards your co-workers, towards your spouse, and towards your kids, it should not be, I'm, I'm better than they are. They, they should respect me. That's, that's not the approach to take. That's what the world is going to tell, tell you. Is don't, don't even worry about them. You, you're, you're already there. You're high and mighty. Don't worry about those that uh, are perceived to be below you. Ours to be, should be to serve them. And we look at Jesus as the perfect example. God didn't need us. God doesn't need us. Okay? God loves us so much that he sent his son. Myself, all of us, we should be on a path to hell. We should. I'll be the first one in line. I should be the first one there because we are evil. We are wicked. And the world doesn't want to hear that, but we are. But the beauty of it all, the beauty of Christ, the beauty of God is that he loved us in spite of all the wickedness that we do, all of it. And he sent his son to live a perfect life that we could never live, that if we put our faith in him and we repent from our sins, then we can be saved. That's the beauty. So we shouldn't look at ourselves as if we have something to offer because we have nothing to offer other than a one-way ticket to hell. The only reason we have something is because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. That's it. And if we have that mindset of we have total dependence on God, then that changes our focus to other people or for other people. We start to look at them and say, not how can, why, how can I look down at you, but how can I go side by side with somebody and share with them the good news of the gospel? 
speaking of side by side, there was three other guys on that fishing trip on the boat on the boat that actually worked there. There's a lot of, of fathers and, and kids, but there were three workers there. And they were our guides. So they they taught us everything about how to put the bait on the hook. They taught us exactly where we needed to go to have the best chance of catching fish. They taught us what to do when we weren't catching fish. They see stuff that we don't see. Well, it's one thing to have a guide that can give us good odds to catch a fish, but it's another thing to have a perfect guide in Jesus Christ, one that came and lived a perfect life that showed us exactly how meekness should be lived out on this earth. And his prize is much greater than the fish that these guys on the boat had to offer. And he's here, he's alive, and he's more than willing to help us. And we need to depend on him. And that's how we avoid taking the bait. And that's point number two for us tonight is always depend on your perfect instructor. Always depend on your perfect instructor. How do we do that? Prayer and being in the Word. It's those staples that we always talk about. That's first and foremost. And then not being that guy that, you know, if you go to Ikea, you're the one that wants to fix it without looking at the instructions. We don't need to do that for this life. God's given us all the instructions and exactly what we need to do, how we need to live this life. It's not going to be easy, but he's given it to us. And we need to use it. We need to depend on our instructor. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23, it says this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You see, Christ was disrespected in so many ways. And if he wanted to wipe out everybody, it would have been completely justified. He had the Pharisees basically calling him, or not basically, they did, called him a blasphemer to his face. He had Judas there on, on the night that he was arrested. He's eating dinner with him. And Christ knew the entire time what was going to happen. And even Peter, we, we tend to be like Peter. Peter in the garden lost his cool. Right? What did Peter do when they arrested Jesus? He goes and wells out his sword, and I guess he was aiming for the head and chopped off an ear. But that's us sometimes. We, we're Peter. We think we need to insert ourselves. But what, is, what does Christ tell Peter? Matthew 26, 53 tells him, do you think that I cannot appeal to my fathers, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels to clear this place out. Same thing on the cross. He, he, he's up on the cross. He can clear the place out. He can get down from the cross if he wanted to. But as I told you before, meekness is having the ability to do something, but not doing it because Christ here cared more about the Father's will. He knew what needed to be done as opposed to what satisfied him. So the, the, 
the resume, the pedigree of our instructor is far greater than, than anything else. And what we, should lo- what we should love more than anything about Christ is he's always willing to say, I'm here to help you. He's not going to force his hand on you. He's not going to force the situation. But once you're willing to stop tussling and, and fighting this life, Christ is saying, I'm here to help you. I'm right here. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's willing to give us rest if we come to him. Stop fighting this battle that the world is trying to tell us is the way to go. Verse 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's there, right? He's there. He, he, he's not the bait that the enemy is trying to put. He, he's there and he's willing to help us. And while I would love, mo- more, love nothing more for you to, to catch it ahead of time, be proactive, even if it happens, right? Let's say you get in an argument. Let's say you're, you're, you're having a, a back and forth argument with your wife. Even if you're in the middle of it, Christ is willing to say, I'm here for you. You see, the, the, the bait here that the enemy will tell you is, hey, brother, you've already started this argument. You're headed down that path. Go ahead and finish this one off. You can try again next time. That's what the enemy will tell you. But the more powerful thing to do is if you lash out in the middle of it, being able to say, you know what? I feel like I'm losing control. Let me take some time and go pray. Or we can pray together, and let's get back to this conversation after we talk to God about this. That's powerful. That's the meekness that we need to be able to have. To stop midway through, pull out, as hard as it is, pull out and reset, and reset with Christ. We're so much stronger when we understand God's right there. He's waiting on us. He's willing to help us out, and we need God. We can't battle Satan alone. That's exactly, again, what the bait that Satan wants us to take is, yeah, you can battle me alone. Let, let, you and me, come over here. Let's battle. We can't do that. I can't do that. You can't do that. We need Christ, and we need to depend on him. And it's a daily battle. If you, if you, if you win the battle today, guess who's right back tomorrow, ready to go again, tougher than ever. It's a daily battle that we need to wake up, and we need to be praying to die to self, and live for Christ. So when we were on that boat, the guys, you know, they, they caught a lot of fish that day. And since I was observing, I learned a lot. Um, one thing I learned is, you know, the fish has to be a certain size in order for you to take it. And if it's not, you got to throw it back out, which is weird to me, but okay. I'm, I'm just following the rules, I guess. Uh, but like many things in life, what the world will tell you is, Success is if you're able to take something with you, right? If you're able to gain something, if you're able to make more money, if you're able to get a promotion, if you're able to uh, get praise, get success, get rewards today. That's what this world will tell you. While there'll be some fruit in this world for us as Christians, we know our ultimate reward lies in heaven. And us being meek will allow us to inherit that. And so for our third point tonight, I want you to write it down like this is, remember our ultimate reward is not here. 
Remember, our ultimate reward is not here. We shouldn't be panicking. Again, don't fret. I love that word. Don't fret about what's going on in the world. Current situation, it seems like it's utter chaos. And to us, it is. But as Christians, we have to truly know and truly believe, and our life has to reflect that we understand God's in full control. He's got it. He's in full control. If you would, go back to uh, our context passage, Psalm 37, 7 through 11. I want to read that and just share a little bit more detail of what David was talking about here uh, to the people. Verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So when we see evil people or, or the wicked getting away with them, with, with things, he's saying, fret not. Refrain from anger. Forsake your wrath. You don't need to, to be revengeful. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers should, shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The, the world at times will look like it's winning. I get it. I, I, I've been there, and I know what it looks like. You look at it, and you're like, man, what is really going on? But if we truly trust God's word, we truly go back to Scripture and see how God's hand has been covering his family, his people, the entire way through. There's been some shaky things happening, but it's never outside of God's control. We need to focus on the end, focus on our eternal rewards, our inheritance that's in heaven. So Disneyland is about to open back up soon. It's been weird that that monstrous place has been closed for so long. But uh, one thing that I enjoy about Disneyland, I don't like, you know, waiting in lines and, you know, just trying to get through a ton of people and kids running around between my legs and all that stuff. But one thing I, I, I enjoy about Disneyland is they have this thing called a Fast Pass. And what Fast Pass is, is you get a reservation for a ride at a certain time. So if it's, it could be two hours later, but when you bring that fast pass, you hop to the front of the line. You see that the fast pass is similar to this life for us. Because we've been saved, we have a fast pass, a fast pass that gets us to heaven. So whatever happens in between, at Disneyland, people get anxious, they get uh, worried, and they get frustrated because the line is super long, and they have to wait in that line. Well, when you have a fast pass, it really doesn't matter how long the line gets. You see it. You see the line right there, and you see it backing up, but you know that when your time comes, you hop right to the front. And you say, we, as Christians, we need to know that, that God's given us this fast pass called salvation to where we can inherit the kingdom. But there's a final part of this verse that needs to be addressed. It says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. They shall inherit the earth. What is that? The, the new earth. 
is what we're talking about here. Revelations 21.1, jot that down for me. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You see, earlier I talked about in Psalm, David referred to it as the land. So David was talking about Canaan, right, the promised land that, Jesus, or that God promised to the Israelites. But that land actually pointed toward the ultimate promise of, of heaven. Right? But Jesus applies this not to a, a territory, but Jesus applies this in terms of the ultimate victory for the meek that's in heaven. See, meekness is not just a, a nice to have. It's, it's so critical that we understand that we must have meekness. We must follow Christ here with meekness. And it's a direct correlation to your genuineness of your faith, right? Sometimes we verbally say we have faith. Sometimes we verbally say we trust, but then our actions show, show something completely different. Well, that meekness provides that correlation. Does your life show that you have trust in Christ? If somebody's looking at your life, does it show that you have trust in Christ? The risk we run here when we're not meek is that we fall into that camp of Matthew 7, 22, 23, where we'll say, Lord, Lord, I did all of these things in your name, and God will say, I, I, I never knew you. I never knew you. See, that's why it's so important to check our meekness right now. Make sure that we have Christ. We're following Christ and his example of meekness. I've been doing some running lately. This compass active. I guess I have to do more than just basketball. Um, so I, I've been trying to run, and uh, I don't like running. I'll, I'll be honest. I don't like running, but, but I'm doing it. I, I, I like to say I'm being active. I'm running for Jesus, right? I'm running to get in conversation. I'm running to, to uh, be able to share Christ with people. That's better than me telling myself I'm running to get in shape. But one person I've been running with is Chris Francisco. Lord, help me, right? If you don't know Chris Francisco, he's, he runs 100-mile marathons for fun. That's, that's, his, that's his enjoyment. Hey, I don't, I don't know, I, but he does that. So anyway, when I run with Chris, uh, my little measly three or four miles is a walk in the park to him. I'm breathing hard, and he's just getting started. But one thing I appreciate about running with him is he's always willing to help and give me tips because there's a lot of you know, technicalities with running that you need to know. And so he, he often remind me of, hey, keep your head up. Because what happens is when you run, there's this gravitational pull that makes you want to just lean over. And all that does is collapse your breathing airway. So he always says, keep your head up. Keep your head up. Look forward. Look forward. And it reminds me so much of the, our life today on this earth. Is while, while the bait will tell us just to collapse, just to bend over, it feels so much better to do this, it actually harms us. And we need to keep our head up and look forward to that day where we can spend eternity in heaven. So don't just keep taking the bait is what I want to say here. There has to be a change, and that change is following Christ's example. And if you're not a believer, following Christ first and foremost. In order for us to have the meekness, we have to, one, be aware of the bait. Know that it's out there. Know that it's going to be there every single day to tempt you to try to steer you away from the meekness that Christ wants us to have. 
and then always depend on your perfect instructor. He's there. He's willing to help us. He wants to help us. We need to depend on him. Right? And then lastly is, is keep your head up. The ultimate reward that we'll get. It's not here. It's not here. We'll, we'll get some, some fruit here. There'll be some, some highs and some lows, but our ultimate reward is in heaven. And we need to remember that. And we need to trust God as if and live our life knowing he's in full control. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're in full control. I'm so thankful that we as believers can know that you, you have this world in the palm of your hands. You know exactly what's going to happen. And we can rest knowing that you're in control of it. No matter what's going on in this world right now, because there's a lot going on. And it's easy for especially a non-believer to say that there's just no hope, there's pure chaos going on. And sometimes it's tempting. It's, the enemy baits us as Christians to think the same thing. And I pray that we can be able to see that bait, to know that, yes, this life won't be easy. Yes, it'll be tough, but there will be a day where we don't have to, to hurt anymore. We don't have to live in a world of chaos anymore. We get to live with you. And, Lord, this, this world is, is being meek is countercultural to this world, and it will continue to remind us that in so many ways. And I pray that we would be better about seeing that. I pray for small group discussions. Uh, being meek is something that we all struggle with. And if we're telling ourselves we don't struggle with it, we're the main person that's probably having a hard time being meek. And so I pray that we would use our brothers in Christ that are right here with us to share, be vulnerable on, on how we can be better uh, followers of Christ by being meek like Christ showed us to be. Thank you for this message, Lord, and I pray that uh, it would transform us to be more like you in Jesus' name. Amen.